Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other D-Generation comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue and Tony. The game is back, which is fantastic. So after episode one, sorry, uh, Tony, we had to push you off aside because we did have a piss week kid on, but (laughs) (laughs) Justin Anderson was phenomenal and just amazing. So what a great sport he was too with that. So you missed out on a good show. Yeah. Just rubbing it in. (laughs) I wouldn't have accepted being bumped for anyone less. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, if you have no idea what we're talking about, download episode 21 of the podcast and you're in for a nice little treat there. So I I guess we'll go straight into everything here. Now, we've... It's not really uh, feedback, it's just news. So we have, we've decided to release our own little podcast merch, I guess, trying to flog around little quotes and everything else to avoid any other (laughs) certain issues. And if uh, it's mainly to raise money so we can buy a really cool prize. And I'll tell you what the prize that I would love to buy and for the entire podcast and that is uh, the box of the bluey. So if we <laughs> amazing, oh, yep. I love that little dog. <laughs> <laughs> so no, no, the the other bluey. Yeah, this podcast the we just bluey. Yes, and since this podcast, uh, we do this out of our own love, passion, and care, and anything that we do, buy or whatever, comes out of our own pocket. And all, all we want to do is use that money from our red bubble store which the link will be in the podcast description and also on the champagne comedy website honestly any profit will go directly towards buying one box set and all you need to do is say buy a coffee mug and we just need to sell 18 of them so far we've sold one so thank you (laughs) 17 to go yes So we have our logo on there as well as some other bits like pedantry. Pedantry. <laughs> well, what what I was hoping is maybe if if when you put the mug down it says pedantry. Like pedantry. It, do, it doesn't. It doesn't, sadly. Um, you say it when you put it down. <laughs> you have to say well, it yourself. I, I, can't, I, I can't do this live in 17 people's homes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they pay me a lot of money. (laughs) And, yeah, another design that I whipped up the other day was flummoxed. So if you have a look at that, it's actually the dictionary. Anyway, as I said, the link description will be in this uh, podcast episode and also on the Champagne Comedy website. Um, And, yeah, do that. It's money towards prizes, I swear. It's not for our own pocket. Um, Now, uh, does, uh, yeah, Working Dog suddenly sprung a new show on us too. It was yeah. quite quick, yeah, and the show I'm not is. Even across it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not even across it. I need to get an update. Well, uh, does anyone like to explain uh, the cheap? Sh- I nearly said it. <laughs> the cheap <laughs> seats to prove. It's essentially. It seems like it's sort of like a bonus episode of Have You Been Paying Attention? Like it's been marketed as a companion to the uh, to the main show, really, and it, it does seem to be 
full of all these sort of news jokes that they maybe didn't have time for on Have You Been Paying Attention? Wow. And who's in the cast? It's hosted by Melanie Bracewell, um, who's moved over from New Zealand, and Tim Blackwell, uh, who've both been panellists on uh, on uh, HIPAA. Oh, the way that I see it is that, you know, towards right the end of uh, Have You Been Paying Attention where they show a clip of a news grab or anything like that and as a big laugh to, to kind of seal it up, to wrap it up the show. It's like a montage of that, just quick fire bits. Media Watch with bloopers. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, it goes for an hour. And uh, so, the, it was that, so far at the time of this podcast, one episode was broadcast, and I watched it. I found it hilarious. Uh, they also, towards the end of the uh, the end of the show, they also have a couple of different segments. So they had um, sport uh, with Titus O'Reilly as the sort of contributor to that. Um, I forget the name of the person that uh, does the entertainment. I think she's on Nova. And they, they also did a, a cross to um, Natasha Exelby, uh, who is in Tokyo covering the Olympics for 10. Hmm. Well, I'll have to tear myself away from season three of Rosemary and Time to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in deep lockdown viewing. <laughs> oh, so you're not going through your... When I'm alone with all... Your box set, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Cheap Seats at the moment is on Tuesday nights at 9 o'clock and you can also catch up on it on Template. So there you go. There's a free oh, and, plug. And, and also, uh, the same as Have You Been Paying Attention, you can get it as an audio podcast. And, yeah, similar to Have You Been Paying Attention, most of it works. There's a few visual things that you miss out on, but um, if you just want to listen to it, it's available on podcast. It's a bit hard to find because there's quite a lot of podcasts named The Cheap Seats. Um, but if you if you do a search for the cheap seats and ten speaks, uh, you'll hopefully be able to find it. Uh, and speaking of podcasts, um, yeah, it was talked about on the Media Week podcast uh, with uh, James Manning and a friend of the show, Andrew Mercado. Although um, James wasn't quite sure what the uh, title of the show was. Something I perhaps should have mentioned when we were talking about 10 a minute ago was the new series, The Cheap Sheets. It's like a companion piece, if you like to. Have you been paying attention? Did you manage to catch any of that? Is it The Cheap Sheets or The Cheap Seats? Seats. Did I say? What did I say? You said sheets. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, it's cheap seats. Cheap seats. (laughs) The Kmart thread count. (laughs) <laughs> I think I think James Manning needs a cheat sheet uh, for the cheap seats. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, I, I managed to obtain a copy of the cheap seats. Um, for, for those of you who are not in Australia and don't have access to 10 Play, there are ways to obtain these programs if you wish to watch them. I'll just say that. Um, I had a I had a look at it and you were VHS. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Someone sent me a VHS in the post. That's nice. exactly how I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I I was watching it and I thought, hang on, isn't that the desk from the panel that they've just slightly sort of they've changed the way people sit at it? Now, am I am I alone in this? Is it the panel desk or not? Oh, can you, you are so close. You, <laughs> you, are, you are so close, Alison. It is a desk we've seen before, but not from the panel, although it was from, I suppose you could call it a version of the panel. I reckon I've seen that desk before in a show called This Week Live, which was the roving enterprises, token Mm. artists, 
uh, agency version of the panel that was done in 2013, I think it was, had uh, Michelle Laurie, um, Tom Gleason, uh, Tommy Little. Um, and yeah, I'm like having a look at, at some of the footage of This Week Live, which there is on the internet, funnily enough. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the desk. Oh, so it's not the previous uh, Champagne Comedy Podcast guest, Dana Litch's uh, show, This Week in Shorts, the one that really didn't make it to air? <laughs> no, no. So surprisingly, This Week Live did make it to air for 13 episodes and and was, was quite maligned at the time, uh, which is kind of weird because, yeah, really, I mean, the cheap, the cheap Seats and This Week Live were pretty similar, really. Probably a bit more scripted stuff in This Week Live. Oh, see, um, from what I remember of um, this week live, it was Australia's favourite panellists sitting down to have a nice little waffle for however long it went, and occasionally someone would say something amusing. Like it, it, it was panel chat. It wasn't sort of the the rapid fire jokes that that yeah. the cheap seats. Yeah, and right. from what I remember, I mean, I think I watched most of it, which is a bit of a stain on my character and i simply <laughs> recall that it just it just kind of faded away it was one of those shows that they sort of realized people weren't getting behind and you know it kept going but their heart wasn't in it the, the 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 only thing i remember this week like being famous for maybe infamous for now is sort of bringing out the character of tom gleason because he had yeah. a segment on that called i hate you change my mind which sort of morphed into hard chats on the weekly and then morphed into hard quiz. So yeah. This Week Live was to blame for, for that Logie win, I think, yeah. <laughs> ultimately. Ultimately. <laughs> and we actually have one more thing. During this recording as well, we, and I'm seriously going to take this even further, that only last night there was a certain international sports carnival going on. <laughs> and they had a certain commentator on there, a very popular one by the name of Bruce McAvaney. Now, uh, so, and bam, Twitter has gone nuts with, you know, actually tagging us in it at TLS Champagne on Twitter uh, about Bruce McAvaney and all these quotes from Rob Sitch, you know, could go on and on and well, anyway, this is... <laughs> well, so many. I mean, you've got Kathy Watts in the cycling, Gary Neewon, the pursuit team. They were magnificent. I could go on and on. And I will. Hayley Lewis, Nicole Livingston, Susie O'Neill. Gee, they put in some good performances. Now. Oh, gee. Yep. There's plenty of them, but that one I chose in particular because guess what the Bruce McAvaney said during a certain ceremony that was opening some type of sports carnival. For a fourth goal with here, check and field the You could go on and I have been. <laughs> Thank you to the Twitter account user, and I'm. <laughs> this is not going to sound racist. Uh, Twitter account user ethnic e t h n i c k underscore. Well, um, the Brisbane Olympic uh, win that yeah. brought up a lot of memories for people winning mm. uh, when we won Sydney. So I think this whole year of us looking at the late show is going to be quite surreal like a twilight zone oh how popular mm. was and had to pay homage to the cup of tea and toast guy as well as the bus yeah. trip to barrel <laughs> he tried to get it trending on twitter hashtag try to bus, yeah. bus trip to barrel <laughs> we'll make a coffee mug out of that so we have 11 years worth yeah. of trying to plug that coffee mug hashtag bus trip to barrel 
I'll make it before I release this podcast so no one else steals the idea. <laughs> Do I get a promo code? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now it is time for I've got the paper. <laughs> Daniel there G's program go. guide. That's your new intro. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a, a little bit more apt because I'm I'm getting this stuff uh, from the Melbourne Age, uh, the critical guide to the weekend's TV uh, from Ross Warnicky. Um and uh, yeah, that's the only reference to the paper in the whole of the late show. I don't think they did a reference to microfilm. Um, if they do, <laughs> let me know out there. <laughs> that's very Tony esque too. Oh, I got the microfilm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, now, just an update to last week. Uh, I said last, uh, sorry, to, uh, to last episode, rather. Um, last episode, I said that I couldn't find any information about uh, who was uh, scheduled to go on Hey Hey It's Saturday. Um, but uh, I received a reply on Twitter. Uh, hey, Daniel G, brackets, program guide. Hey Hey It's Saturday on June the 5th, 1993, had Hunters and Collectors, Joe Bailey, <laughs> Steady Eddie, Margaret Ehrlich, and Def Rhyme. And that was from a Matt Fulton on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say? From yeah, yeah. Can, can, can you explain uh, how, you, uh, how you came across this information, Matt? What's all that about? Yeah. <laughs> well, I did have a paid subscription to HeyHey.tv, which has the entire catalogue of Hey Hey It's Saturday. Yeah, it's not like it's not a bad thing. I think. I mean, not not all of the show is bad. Uh, you know, some of it is a product of its time, but um, yeah, there's there's some of it which you know sounds really good. I wouldn't have minded, uh, you know, watching a bit of Michael Ehrlich or Def Rhyme. I think. <laughs> well, if you didn't have anything in your program guide coming up for Hey Hey, I actually got a list of what was on tonight's episode as well. <laughs> okay, okay. This, this, this is good because again, both the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age Guides didn't have any information about who was on. So, so who, who was uh, scheduled to appear on Hey Hey, Matt? I've got a decent list here. They did cram a lot in the one and a half hours it went to air, not including commercials. You have uh, Boom Crush Opera. You have Red mm. Hot and Rhonda, Rod Birchmore. <laughs> the Far Gone Beauties. Even uh, hey, they were good. Country band, yeah. Remember they yeah. were on um, Stairways to Heaven. Yes, oh, I did. Oh, yeah. As well as Magnificent Seven cast member Debbie Byrne. <laughs> and also houseboat horror musician Brian Mannix. <laughs> Uh, doing, uh, doing one of his knockout super hits, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Plus, also the Blackburn High School Band, the brass band, yeah. Um, also, wrestler Demolition Smash, uh, Anthony Aykroyd, the Bad Loves, and the Mr. Moon, the Juggler, who was there trying to break a Guinness World Record for the longest time juggling throughout the entire show. Truly something for everyone there in that lineup. Yeah, that, that's a lot to cram into two hours, too. Yeah, so if you want to hear more about Hey Hey, listen to the Hey Hey, it's the podcast that's out there. So we're stealing their thunder right now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, if, if you want to watch it, um, yeah, six ninety five a month. All right, and after Hey Hey. Uh, was the 1990 police drama Blue Heat, starring Brian Dennehy and Joe Pantoliano. Uh, Brian Dennehy plays drug squad boss Frank Daly, who has to go outside the law to clear himself and his men after fire destroys some evidence. 
Uh, over on Channel 7, we've got uh, a three-hour uh, special called The Monarchy, a pseudo-serious look at the royals, their fortunes, their survival, and whether the Brits want to keep them on the public payroll. Three so, hours. <laughs> yeah, it went to like 11.40 or so. Whoa. Wow. So, yeah, I, like, I don't know whether that stuff would have rated like the... Um, uh, like the Oprah interview uh, did this year, but uh, obviously, you know, they still wanted to make t uh, TV out of it. I bet it had like 120 minutes of ads or something. <laughs> Everything was new idea commercials. <laughs> Royal scandal. Sources, say. Yeah. Uh, on Channel 10 uh, was another episode of Kojak uh, with Telly Savalas, Andre Brower and Rip Torn. Over on SBS, we're back to the black and white movies again. Uh, at 9.40, they had the 1959 French drama, The 400 Blows. Oh, classic. It is, yeah. Director Francois Truffaut's first movie, largely autobiographical, tells of a boy's neglected childhood, says Warnicke, not just for film buffs. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, last of all, over on the ABC... Again, we've got the lead in Birds of a Feather. Uh, in this episode, Tracy is attracted to another man while Sharon is, a, is tempted to read a serious book. When I'm alone. Oh, yeah. Stars Linda Robson and, again, they've listed Pauline Quirk as Pauline Clark. Shocking. I know. That is pretty bad, actually. I know. I, I actually, I, I had to check again just to make sure like, it wasn't like a maiden name or anything. But um, no, she was well known as Pauline Quirk, um, yeah, well before Birds of a Feather came on. The listening for the Late Show just uh, lists it as a live topical sketch comedy show with the DJ. And after the Late Show, at 11pm, you've got the 1993 Women's Volleyball Grand Prix. Then at 12.30 in the morning, ATVI News. And then at one o'clock, you've got Rage, overnight music videos featuring guitar, metal, and Van Halen. I know. So, uh, yeah, very uh, serendipitous. Um, and, yeah, that was uh, what was on. Thank you very much for that, Daniel. And now we'll go into Season 2, Episode 2 of The Late Show, broadcast Saturday, June 12th, 1993. And we have the opening, which is a movie trailer, Tedious September. It's all about <laughs> those periodic dramas, those movies, and I don't know. what what's the, Is that period drama? Period movie? Virgin yeah. Ivory, yeah, very much. Yeah, but that really, there really was a lot of them around that time. Mm. I you sort of forget now, but there was a stretch where Merchant Ivory just owned the period of time from like eighteen eighty to nineteen thirty five, which just <laughs> that was the turf. You didn't mess with them. Yeah, but I actually remember loving them at that time in year twelve. Mm. Weirdly, especially room with a view fan and the late show fan loved these films. Like I remember mm. going to see Howard's End and remains of the day and falling in love with all those actors who are still amazing today so this is a hilarious takedown i think <laughs> i really love the way jane reads out the the letter and she, the way she says 
blah 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got it justice, but it's Jane's perfect. And when they're talking about the intercourse, that's that's something you read in all those books when you're studying in high school, and you go, oh, oh they had intercourse. Conversation. Somebody hurts himself in the croquet match. Um, uh, what's her name? Judith. <laughs> you plunge it at that out. <laughs> Judith goes, quick, someone get the stationery. <laughs> now, I think this film is based on Howard's End, which came out in 1992, which is obviously based on the E.M. Forster novel. And um, I, I don't think I've seen Howard's End, but did Howard's End have a lot of letters in it or was was letters letter writing just a general kind of trope in in merchant ivory films yeah i I think actually remains of the day is very letter heavy yeah Um, that's true uh but yeah howard's end probably they're all based on those novels that were literally people writing letters to each other so i mean when you're turning them into a movie you're sort of stuck because you're like well this only works if someone reads about it now we've got to show you a movie where people are sitting around reading and that's going to be really gripping doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, tedious September was starring Helena Bottom Carter, Julia Sands and Mr. Football Ted Whitten. <laughs> in his first overseas acting role. <laughs> and he does, it, like, the only thing he does is, you know, do a, a turn to camera and sort of look very serious, but... Whilst wearing a boater... Yes. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, because of that, like, you can tell he means a business. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming. <laughs> so after the opening titles, we got the opening remarks, and Tony and Mick have decided, after putting down the applause signs, that it's time for a flashback, even though they're only two episodes in. And then that's when Tony decides to plug some pretty uh, quality merchandise. Now, I don't get this unless it's just a totally random thing because I couldn't find any news articles on it, but he holds up a can of tempered pineapple pieces, you know, a deadly surprise in every third can. Now, was there some type of contamination at the time? Yeah, yeah, there was a contamination of pineapples. I remember this because I, when I wrote a school newspaper article about The Late Show, because obviously I was obsessed and <laughs> had to write about that, um, just after the first episode, I, I used that as a little example of the type of humour that was done in the um, intro. So obviously by the time we got to print, and it was, <laughs> it was a really old and <laughs> dated reference, and even back then. Um, but yes, there was some contamination of the the pineapples pineapple cans back then dodgy food was really rife in 1990 (laughs) i remember some kind of thing about people people going on flights in you know domestic flights and they were given orange juice and and them being poisoned by the orange juice around that time so yeah there were a lot of a lot of things but then recently there was that issue with the um the the needles in strawberries wasn't there you know you're always going to get this stuff unfortunately yeah, and uh, new uh, Alice, sorry, <clears throat> and you, Alison, and possibly Daniel, you had your clear Adelaide tap water. Was that a surprise? <laughs> well, look, jokes about Adelaide tap water have been rife um, for for many many decades now. But the yeah. thing about Adelaide tap water is it is clear; it just doesn't taste very nice, <laughs> you know. So, so they're slightly wrong with that joke. But hey, we're Adelaide; we we cop jokes from from the eastern states. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been receiving uh, a lot of jibing lately from Sydney and Melbourne. I think uh, now that we're all lockdown buddies. 
But uh, they, I, they I, should I, have they should have a travel bubble where you can go between any of the infected states, but you can't go to any of the clean states. <laughs> <laughs> you might as well, if you're going to be dirty, you might as well do it together. Yeah, one yeah. You that that's why they're clean because nobody goes. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe we should just build a wall along the Barassi line. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I did like uh, Mick's uh, little throwaway uh, line that uh, clear gravy is easier to make than clear Adelaide tap water. <laughs> and, and 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 Mick was also right. There was this yeah very weird fad in the early 90s for clear cola i don't remember clear yeah. beer which is what he said but I, I remember i remember especially this would have been at the height of the simpsons craze that there was a bart simpson clear cola mm. yeah and then people well, didn't like it rejected it well tab clear had just started to seep into the market i'm trying to get it i'm um, going because i think in the commercial it might have been el mcpherson plugging tab clear trying to appeal to the Australian demographic. Could be wrong. Huh. Could be wrong. I didn't research that, but I just remember one of those ads. I suppose no. that wants to be reminded that it's basically just sugar dissolved in water. Without yeah, the colouring, yeah. colouring to make it look like, well, maybe it's an orange or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> remember those uh, spritz drinks as well? That might have been a bit later on in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. That, that was yeah. more of a kind of sophisticated adult type drink, wasn't it? Whereas clear cola was kind of a novelty for the kids. I don't know how to seg into this, but I'm just going to play it anyway. But of course, we'll all be selling a lot more stuff once uh, Senator Cook gets back from those trade talks. Did you like that link, Mickey? Did you see the way it's just... <laughs> you are a magician, Tone. <laughs> totally seamless. There'll be people at home with the slow-mo on, breaking it down frame by frame. I don't you know couldn't see the join, could you? But look... Too good. But look, Senator Cook... <laughs> is really live it really is <laughs> <laughs> and that's the going yeah, yeah. to the chat about uh, senator cook and trade talks there seemed to be a lot of trade talks around that time for some reason i'm assuming the global community has since figured out how to make you know the world trade organization work but back then there always seemed to be like oh we're going to be selling more wheat to this place or they're going to buy our tomatoes whoa yeah. as actual news rather than something that you just ignored. Well, wasn't that Keating's kind of um, modus operandi? Didn't he sort of get in and start all this trade talk stuff? And I don't actually know. I didn't study politics, but I, I just had the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, there really, there was a vibe back then. It was sort of a thing that was a big deal for Australia that we could sell our stuff overseas, whereas now it's just sort of taken for granted that they'll, bio iron ore and the rest of the stuff gets chucked overboard Nick was saying that the US think they were the fonds you know talking about wheat sales how they were left untouched so yay wheat sales and uh, Tony tries to explain the traditional um, market really Australia's traditional market which just went out like to be one below. isn't it this this whole gag is a bit daggy isn't it it's like oh trade talks here we go but at least they save it with all the Fonzie and Happy Days references. Yeah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> and there's a story about an Irish man uh, being on a hunger strike on Parliament steps and only lasted a day because he looked at his watch and goes, ah, it's Mac time. Because <laughs> at the time, Mac Macers were trying to change their slogan. Or With this, the opening monologue, I kind of felt they, they always said they need an extra ingredient. Like you've got the news 
and they'll make some jokes, but you sort of need that one, like third element to really lift a, a late show monologue. Um, and this, they just sort of seem to be grabbing for stuff, but they never quite got a hold of anything. Might have been a slow news day. Well, yeah, I mean, they're not great stories. Well, yeah. for, for me, the third element is uh, what Tony and Mick are wearing because uh, <laughs> Tony's wearing a bit of Late Show merch, a T-shirt, and, well, Mick, you know, three words, skivvies are back. <laughs> <laughs> it is clearly a skivvy with some sort of an emblem on the, the uh, left breast uh, pocket. Yeah, it was a far cry from last episode where they had, you know, the silk shirts and they looked a little bit more snazzy. Now it's just like, oh, Mick, you want to do a FaceTime uh, meeting now? <laughs> Those pants Mick's got on are, are not a good look. And now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. You know how they had the footage of the woman, the pensioner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Ray Martin tickets. Oh, yeah. yeah. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> I like that too. Just to, to explain, it's a bit of news footage of an old woman who's sort of kissing these sort of bits of paper, which are obviously some sort of photos, and then there's sort of a, a shot from the the other side which shows that they're tickets to Ray Martin's midday show. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder who she took. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, I, I'm pretty sure they said Adelaide Pensioner, and I thought they did. Been, yes, the wait, the wait is finally over. The pensioner from Adelaide. <laughs> yeah, but also, also the woman, this pensioner from Adelaide, she would have had to fly over to Sydney to, <laughs> to go and see the show. Well, I was their airline ticket. <laughs> I think it's it's just that perennial um, light chicken uh, that we get uh, being in Adelaide. I think. Yeah, there's not enough to do, that kind of vibe. <laughs> to be fair, it, it's kind of accurate. <laughs> we're, we're a small little town, really, Adelaide. <laughs> now, there's a bit of debate over the Marbo case and Keating finally gets agreement from the state premiers over one point and that's a classic Kenneth's a dickhead <laughs> thing. So... <laughs> and that's the, that's the only joke they make out of that the serious uh, news story. And you know what? It still stands to this day, the fact that anything that he says, it still comes and rehashes, especially on Twitter. <laughs> so everything old is new again. Mm. Oh, look, it's, it's an eternal truth. Yeah, <laughs> now, this one tends to be, well, this episode tends to be all about the Japanese royal wedding. And, uh, they are a bit obsessed with it, aren't they? I mean, it, it's in about four or five segments. Mm. It must have, it must have been either a very big story at the time, or or they just were really fascinated by it for well, some reason. I think it was a, a big story, from what I remember, because back then, the the emperor of Japan was still Hirohito, was still the guy from World War Two. So it was kind of this was the first development in Japan's royal family in decades that you know. It's the first chance something happened. But, yeah, as it turned out, it, it meant nothing and no one cares. But it, back then, I think it was a big deal. Yeah. Well, this, this this guy they're talking about, the crown prince who, get, who got married, he he became emperor of Japan about two years ago, I think, didn't he? So yeah. so he, he was the grandson of Hirohito, was he? But I, I, I think, I think the, the fascinating thing about all of this, especially in these, you know, 24-7 news cycle days, is that uh, there were no cameras allowed, you know, for the actual ceremony. So, yeah, Japanese TV had to rely on 1993 computer imagery. <laughs> which, which was pretty shithouse, really. All right, now to sport. And Jeff Fennick has retired after being knocked out by Calvin Grove. 
And Grove originally weighed over the limit, and but after a quick uh, decision, which is just him pissing, <laughs> he was good to go. So quick little audio grab there, that was it. And uh, they do cross over to Jeff, who is at the Channel 9 Studios. But, ju- but, ju- but just uh, just before that, the look on Tom's face as he, he gets past that, that urination gag. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, as, it, as it just sailed under the radar. It's priceless. <laughs> And Rob, who is Jeff, uh, ended up having a chat to Tommy, really. And it was, um, what do you call it? That wasn't a joke. I actually forgot for a moment because it's all about him forgetting he's still got his memory. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps you you were distracted like me uh, by uh, Santo and Tony trying to look tough in aviator shades and hoodies. <laughs> really, sort of daggy hoodies. Does anyone know what Santos actually says across his chest? Because it, it's like all I could see was O G G Y G O G G O. And I'm like, is that first letter a W? Does that say <laughs> It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> he was trying to own that word after all. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or, or worse, it was joggy, which is really weird. <laughs> this this next gag uh, from Tommy, I mean, there's really not much to it. It's basically him showing Mike Gaffin getting bowled by the last ball of the fourth day of the Ashes test and basically just showing from very far away a very obvious four-letter word which he uh, yells out. <laughs> and basically turning it into a competition. Uh, you know, what did the English star say? Was it gosh and bother, rats, or gee, I'm annoyed with myself? I love that line. Because <laughs> it is it is quite obvious that, that he, he yells out fuck really loud and really passionately. <laughs> it's just... It's called Mike Getting Goes Fuck. <laughs> now, also, like, just after that, uh, there's footage of uh, Move Hughes taking the stumps, and I don't know if you noticed, but there was a bit of signage behind them that said Manchester 2000, the British Olympic bid. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I remember that because it was as failed as Melbourne's Olympic bid. Does anyone remember that? We tried to get it. I, I remember the I remember the um, Melbourne Olympic bid yeah. in the nineties, as well as the there was an Adelaide Commonwealth Games bid in nineteen ninety eight. But actually, Manchester got the Commonwealth Games. I think in was it two thousand and two? Yeah, it was two thousand two. They, they had the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Yeah. I actually went to the to the Manchester Games. I had some freebie tickets, so it's probably the only time I ever watched sport. <laughs> <laughs> I watched some melodrome and some ping pong. <laughs> so. And, uh, yeah, it then goes into, it's essentially, I think this might be the second stump cam joke uh, for the entire series. Oh, yeah, from um, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. basically showing, uh, yeah, what goes on in, in the locker rooms. Was stump cam relatively new at the time? Like, it seems to be a fascination. I think it was. I think it was. It was funny in the locker room with uh, Mick Malloy's impression of Alan Border. So he's basically on his knees. (laughs) (laughs) Doing this really angry, where the hell's McDermott? It's like, why, why would Border scream at McDermott? I'm fascinated by that. <laughs> See, we don't we don't know because we don't know anything about cricket, but if you're a cricket fan of the era, you probably know exactly what that refers to. Well, the funny thing is I actually did like cricket for about six months in 1993. I think it was study procrastination, but I kind of know that team a little bit 
more than I would any other sporting event in the history of the world. <laughs> it was quite convenient then. <laughs> Very convenient if you're watching the late show so you'd yeah. understand the references more. Oh, and don't forget David Burns's ass as well. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that, that might have been the same ass that belonged to the Pope that, all the way back in Series 1, Episode 1. No, oh. not a scary. Mm. Not a scary. I checked it out. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I like that Crew has in, in lockdown. Crew has been doing a side by side comparison of the two asses. <laughs> this is what happens in lockdown, people. Yeah, I'm just assuming Crew has like two giant monitors on her desk with his <laughs> coming up and, like, <laughs> and photocopies them as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and bakes them in a cake. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> now it's time for showbiz and we have Shannon Doherty, Jane, uh, facing charges after threatening allegedly uh, to shoot her fiancé. This was in 1993. She claims that she's kind-hearted, but every sign around her points to her being an absolute bitch. Yeah, including the one on the back of her uh, office chair. Yeah. Very, very professionally applicated. I did like yeah. that Jane said... Um, you're really pretty, Tori. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, getting get to say lines like, uh, so I'm strong-willed and independent. I'm a great role model for young women straight after shooting her makeup guy for using an oil-based uh, something or other. <laughs> oil-based foundation. Uh, so you see, I, I, I don't use oil-based foundation. I don't know if you can tell on the webcam. <laughs> Here's a... Pre-recorded sketch, which has Mick Malloy being the telephone prankster. Now, this is at the time where, at the very beginning of nineteen, or sorry, it was at the start of nineteen ninety-three, and then now it's come to fruition when the Late Show is on. That Optus was going to go head to head with Telstra Telecom. Jeez, oh, it took me a while to break that Telecom vibe and calling it Telstra. Now I've gone back straight into it. <laughs> anyway, I'll let Mick explain. I can ring a client in Uruguay and say, Hi, is your refrigerator running? Yes. Well, you better go and catch it then. That's what it's all about. What other phone company allows you to do that? So he's supporting telecom, saying that they're the best uh, telephone communications provider in order to do his prank phone calls. And this is yeah. just a series of uh, ongoing Telecom versus Optus commercials. Yeah, it was it was a, a really big thing at the time. Um, I can't remember many of the ads, but uh, going through the microfilm uh, recently, going uh, for the program guides. Uh, yeah, Telecom and Optus were doing a lot of full page ads, uh, trying to say why why they uh, they were the company to choose for your phone needs. We're to the couch now, and Jason and Judith were assigned to look after the Japanese royal couple newlyweds, and it all went wrong. So you just end up seeing footage of Jason and Judith taking him out on the town in a very typical Aussie way. Yeah. I don't know about everyone else, but I found this whole thing pretty dodgy. But yeah. it does have some really authentic footage of a 90s pub scene. So um, Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering which pub that was because from, from my 90s Melbourne pub crawl adventures, it looked very familiar, but so many of those sort of inner north pubs looked yeah. exactly like that it could have been one of a dozen of them yeah it was it was pretty good uh i don't know in, uh, in, what's the word uh, representation of a mosh pit you yeah. know, <laughs> it's a little bit hard to achieve <laughs> now i've got to ask um is bentley rsl any significant location or is it just because it's an rsl club that they take them to and that's the joke and no, it's not bentley 
that was the RSL club of um, Bruce Ruxton. So he oh. was. Ah. Oh. Oh. falls into place. My name is Bruce Ruxton, and I'll say just what I think. So, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the thing that I didn't like about this sketch is that it's just a little bit too um, offensive. Like, there's a couple of things like that where it's like, here, go and have some racist shit in your face. And also, there's other, like, even other stuff like getting the tattoo, like that's really a no-no in Japanese culture. So it's kind of a little bit, oh, I don't know. I just I didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, the sketch is kind of like. Are, are you trying to say racist without saying racist? Yeah, I think I feel like it is. Because I, 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 I do tend to agree. It does seem to start out like that before the night sort of gets a bit more debaucherous, let's say. It was interesting, I, I thought, watching it, because what this is the first time I've seen the second series in ages and ages. And it, it really sort of struck me that having Judith on board and sort of being a second season, they were kind of trying to broaden things out a little bit from what they used to do. Well, not used to do, because it's still the meat and potatoes. But there's sort of very much a D-Gen style of humour that we all know and recognise. And then sort of in this season, it was like occasionally they would try stuff that was a little bit outside of the the comfort zone and it didn't always come off. This sketch reminded me quite a lot of um, Mr Jolly Live Next Door, you know, the the comic strip film. Um, So so you've basically got Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson and, and their job they're sort of these dodgy kind of businessmen and they they they're they're asked to take out a japanese businessman and and what they don't understand is that the assignment is actually to kill the japanese businessman and they think oh no we have to entertain him for the evening so you've got this similar situation where you've got this japanese man who's being dragged around all these pubs and strip clubs and whatnot and and so this is basically exactly the same situation except there is that really uncomfortable edge of trying of playing with the fact that they're japanese and and their royals, I suppose, as well. So, you know, they make them sit in the back of the ute. They take them to this place where there's full of racists, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's it's sort of borderline. I, I think I think they're playing on the fact that they're Japanese. I don't know if they're actually racist. I think it's insensitive, <laughs> clearly. But um yeah, it just it just seems like something that they probably thought, oh, here's a story in the news and let's improvise a sketch around it and this was the best they could come up with in, in the sort of six days or whatever that they had. So it's sort of it'd be nice if it was a bit more polished, a bit more thoughtful, you know? And there was there was a weird sort of focus on Japan in, in Western culture around that time. I always think of that terrible is it Sean Connery movie Rising Sun? That's, that's like really racist it's like you watch it and it's like oh geez but it was this sort of idea that japan was going to take over the western world and you know we really had to keep our eye on them because they were coming up fast and it, it created these really weird vibes at the time that may or may not have had something to do with this but it was definitely going on around that time yeah i mean remember in the 90s there was that um queensland ad campaign you know beautiful one day perfect the next and there was that horrible racist joke that went around which was beautiful one day japanese the next and that was you know the time it was like everybody had this weird horrible fear or you know racism basically yeah it was like they're they're coming here and buying all our property was was 
basically the background to that, wasn't it? You know, there were lots of Japanese who were investing in Queensland property or, or just Japanese people coming for a holiday, you know, which would seem like a good thing, surely. But yeah, it, it and these days it's all China. You see exactly the same tropes, but, but in relation china now yeah, so it's it's, it's 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 moved to china and sydney in the, in the past 30 years now we have a commercial and it's all about women's clothing especially a certain store got to get that slag shop style i was trying to remember what shop it was uh miss shop. oh sports yeah, girl oh sports yeah, girl oh. i thought it was miss miss shop i was thinking yeah. was it miss wow. shop wow it's all of them, really, isn't it? It's all of them. But that whisper, that was a particular takeoff. Or more probably was Miss Shop, yeah. Yeah, mm. Miss Shop yeah. and, well, it looked like uh, the style of probably Sports Girl. Mm. And, oh, no, I don't know. But the only ad that I found that was close to it was this ad from 1992. I'm going to Miss Shop. Okay, we'll meet back here in an hour. Right here? Yeah, nice colours. Yes, it's very colourful. Brave. Oh, Mommy, look brilliant. I didn't recognise you. I didn't recognise me. Either. I thought you were Cindy Crawford. That wasn't the 1993 girl. No. Because back then you could only buy clothes at three shops and it was Miss Shop, Sports Girl, and I don't know, yeah, Portman's. Um, or Portman's. Portman's, yeah. Portman's. Oh, Supre. Yes. In Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> Supre wasn't in Oh, yeah, Supre. Yeah. <laughs> Supre was for, for cheap. You know, if you yeah, it was like the Kmart version of uh, yeah. Fashion. But I can't remember which one was sort of that tart sort of clothing. Because definitely Sports Girl at that time was really baggy. Everything was super mm. baggy jeans. Oh, oh, Sports Girl in 92, 93 was all ruffles at the front. You see the shirts that Judith and Jane are wearing. They're all Sports Girl type puffy, puffy sleeves. Oh, yeah. and, I, I definitely but, had But a puffy also shirt. leggings as well. Really, really super tight leggings on the bottom and, and these fluffy shirts on top. Basically pirate clothes. Yeah. yeah, pretty much, yeah. Around the era of the Seinfeld and the pirate shirt. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but also the, the Billy Ray Cyrus tassels look as well, as as you can buy at the slag shop. I'm, I'm not a great fan of the word slag, but, but I'll, live, I'll live with it in these circumstances. Yeah. It's quite a good parody of those ads. Oh, this is Jace trying to do his own thing, I guess, of what's all that about or things wogs would never do, but he is saying... Yeah, I, I got, I got a similar vibe to that as well, so I'm, I'm glad you noticed yeah. yeah, Yeah. It's basically the same backing tune, slightly, well, slightly different, but... Yeah, he's singing all about TV and what he wants to see, and this is a snippet of it. Yeah, like to watch on TV, Lee sitting fine and Dickie knee. Little fat kid sent to Iraq, while the dados attacked by a shark. <laughs> It's really elaborate, isn't it? Like, there's some amazing mm. sets and special effects. Just doesn't work for me. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I think again, it's because it's it's quite similar to things Wogs never do. Um, that it, yeah, it just sort of feels like a. I had to say this poor imitation, really. <laughs> I, I think I think the, the the only thing I I do like about it is the the special effect which comes first up of. Uh, Visard's head blowing up on air. Oh, the paper mache. <laughs> yeah. It was very, very well exploded by Aaron Beaucaire. Mm. I kind of I'm, thought... I'm quite fond of Lotto judges on the piss. That, that's, quite, that's quite nice. And famous farters, the category on Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
No, I think there are some funny bits. I, I personally like the really crude one about the oil spill in Summer Bay and I'd be rapt to see the actors take a crap and he's on the toilet reading the newspaper about the oil spill. I just don't think the audience got it. No. no. It, it's slightly too quick, you know, so you don't have time yeah. to absorb each of the yeah. gags really. Yes. I think it, it kind of, you needed somebody with a bit more of an established comedy persona doing it in a way. Like if Mick had been doing it, you kind of know what Mick is like and what Mick does. Whereas Jace yeah. is always sort of a bit more of a background player in a way. Mm. When he, he steps up and says, this is what I think, it's like, well, thanks for letting us know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we felt the same way when we were in, in school watching this. Jason was the, the backseat. I think I mentioned a few episodes ago about we listed all the times he, he gets yeah. bashed or he's kind of put to the side. <laughs> it, 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 it only seems to make sense in the fact that, yeah, he's one half of that muckraking duo. Because I kind of think that there was something that he could have given, you know, added to the show in a way, but I think he sort of... Because he always came across to me as being really good when he was sort of being kind of creepy and sleazy. Like you, you would see him sometimes on, you know, in a sketch and he would be a little bit off-putting and, you know, that would work for him. But he never got a, a chance to kind of develop that in a way that you were happy to see him do that. Like he would show up, do something a little bit sleazy or whatever, perhaps, and you just kind of go, ew, no thanks. Because there wasn't that, you know, like Mick got a lot more airtime to develop, you know, He's a knockabout larrikin guy who can, you know, be a bit saucy, but we know it's a joke. Whereas Jace was just didn't get the room to, to develop like that. I, I think it's also very ironic that these days he's now a top uh, TV executive <laughs> producer. Yeah. And yet we and yet we have never seen any of these things in the song come to fruition. <laughs> you had your chance, Jason. You had your chance. Yeah. yeah. Give us Ian Hewitt some cooking in the nude, Jace. Come on. We love Jace. Jace is just not, a, yeah, he's not appreciated enough. Jace is great. I always like, you know, whenever he turns up, oh, what's going to happen? But yeah, it's just sort of, I guess when you've got nine people on a show, you can't give everyone, you know, 10 minutes to do their own thing each week. Consider this the number one We Love Jace fan club. <laughs> Especially if you come on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, straight down your alley, Tony, and it is a fantastic live sketch. It is all about certain psychopaths. They're crazy, they're chaotic, they're dangerously psychotic, they're the psychopaths. All of them who are associated with the movies, or uh, well, all the shows really, um, doing their best impressions. And this is possibly one of the best bits, which unfortunately did not make <laughs> any of the best bits DVDs or whatever. Only little snippets, yeah. but not the entire thing. Do you think That's it could be down the copyright issues or they thought, nah, it's just poor quality stuff? Well, I, I might have a controversial opinion here, but I, I think like all the impressions are really good and everyone doing their individual bits are really good but as a sketch it kind of is just you just see the characters together there's sort of nothing going on that makes it a sketch that's sort of telling a story or going through in any way oh controversial <laughs> if you look at um what they do on saturday night live every every week for 40 years it's it's exactly that you know well, yeah. <laughs> like 
And yeah. but you're, you're saying that about SNL, though, aren't you, Tony? Which, which would probably be my opinion. SNL does often feel like a bunch of monologues done side by side in a way. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think as well for The Late Show at this stage, they can totally get away with this sort of thing. The, getting to see, you know, Rob as, as Michael Douglas shooting up stuff is worth the price of admission on its own. <laughs> And, 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 and certainly that, that sort of big stuff, it's really well suited to a live studio uh, sketch rather than anything pre-recorded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll go through the list of who plays what, and then I've actually got a little montage of comparisons so you can make your own judgment on how good their impersonations were. So we have from the very top, and this looks like it's all been written by Tony, to be honest. That's what I think. Uh, you have Tony as Travis Bickle, which is Robert De Niro, Taxi Driver. Rob as Bill Foster, Michael Douglas falling down. Mick as Frank Booth, Dennis Hopper, Blue Velvet. Michael Hirsch as Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins, Silence <laughs> of the Lambs. Jason as Edward Scissorhands, Johnny Depp, Edward Scissorhands. Santo as Jack Torrance, Jack Nicholson, The Shining. And Shirty as himself. Are you talking to me? Huh? Are you talking to me? I'm the only one here, so you must be talking to me, right? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? Where's my lunch? I don't want dinner! I want lunch! I don't want lunch. I want breakfast. Don't you look at me! Don't you look at me, fuck! Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in! Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say that I, I thought Tony's Robert De Niro was a little bit later on in De Niro's career. It's like if you, you watch Taxi Driver, he seems a lot younger than the, the sort yeah. of face pulling, you know, he's, it's more of a Goodfellas De Niro that Tony's doing. Yeah, I agree. It's like he's doing, obviously, Travis Bickle, but he's also doing a Cape Fear yeah. kind of uh, impression with his face. It's, yeah. it's sort of amazing, actually. This is one of those things that my friends and I just always quoted and we would just go, don't you look at me, are you talking to me, don't you look at me, are you talking to me? And then the whole thing about getting the formalities out of the way, that was just something we would just recite over and over again. Even though at that time I think I had seen so- several of the movies at the time, but maybe not Taxi Driver or some of the others, but I yeah, definitely had... Uh, appreciated <laughs> the homage that they were doing there and even the the theme song just the the whole production with that i actually back when i created the first champagne comedy website on the geocities page back in 1996 i had i actually recorded that off the video and put that as as a little theme song that you could download which was a, a web file 400k i remember this because we only had one megabytes of storage on geocities so it took up 40 percent of my space <laughs> <laughs> You can enjoy the theme song. <laughs> I think this was one sketch where Jason's appearance was quite welcome. The <laughs> coming in the Edward Scissorhands thing. Um, you're not. You don't really fit in. You're a bit weird. But you're not actually a psychopath. Are you? Yeah, really so this is a, like yeah, some sort of a fairy tale sort of a character. I really do love um, Rob's impression and the way he loses his mind. When the doorbell rings and he's like, who is it? Who is it? (laughs) (laughs) Then when uh, Mick comes in (laughs) and they're sitting down at the table sort of breathing heavily at each other and then just 
completely lose it and have to sort of look away because they're corpsing so much. <laughs> I mean, it sort of makes it like it is a bit of a shambolic set with the, you know, the shit set um, shaking when they shut the door. And like you said, Tony, it doesn't really have, you know, dialogue or anything that's important. But it just, it's funny. And I don't know, I just love them in their costumes and their makeup. It looks fantastic. Now, who do you think played Shirty then? Since majority of them, uh, and maybe Tom in this one, mm, could be Tom, could be Tom, or could be just anyone in the crew. Could be Judith. I think it's too tall. No, maybe go. maybe it was Mark Gibson or or someone like that. One of the one of the production team. The other thing I like yeah. in this sketch is the the conceit uh, done by Tony as De Niro. Uh, that uh, something's happened to his voice so that uh, whenever he swears, nothing comes out. <laughs> oh, how good that? Because have you tried yeah. to do that? Have you tried to speak and then mime one word in the middle of a sentence? It's impossible <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, I like the bit where, where Sandra's going, little peg, let me come in. Um, do you want next door 22B? And he just kind of nods happily and goes <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> Which implies that there's another dinner party of psychopaths in the next flat. <laughs> I forgot to mention that Tony, oh, sorry, that Tom did actually appear in it because he was the pizza delivery driver. Yeah, he would have had oh, to yeah. dress quickly to be shirty. Surely, surely they could have made him Dougie from Pizza Hut or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a commercial. Your business deserves the very best in communications and AMC, Australian Mobile Communications, announced the digital solution. Victoria's number one Optus dealership offers connection to the new Optus digital network as well as a complete range of mobile phones, accessories and rentals. Yeah, I could play it on and on, but that was a little teaser that I had released earlier and there was a combination of two things, talking about Optus and also Pete Smith, which is later on in the episode. So I dovetailed mm, ah. two things. Uh, now, uh, this is all about the telecom versus Optus prank phone call comparison costs. These were based on legit ads. And I would be remiss to all Santo fans out there to not mention the loveliest Santo smile you'll ever see. Mm, agreed. Yes, very sweet. <laughs> I must admit, uh, I don't remember the real ads that this parody was based on, but I would say that it's yeah, probably a, a faithful sort of reproduction yeah. No, Mick, uh, Mick on telecom and Santo on Optus side by side, saying this, uh, doing the same phone calls, um, and they're they're all the usual prank call tropes. You know, asking for a huge ass, pretending to be a doctor with you know bad uh, dire test results. You know, uh, ringing up a pizza place and uh, ordering twenty five large capriccioses under the name Elvis Presley, and of course the classic Mister Wong wrong number joke and uh yeah basically finding out that uh yeah you could have saved yourself a hundred uh, and ten or so dollars if you were with optus instead of telecom it's quite an interesting uh reminder that optus used to be competitive evil horrors that um overcharge well we have couch time now and jane and tom discuss the royal japanese wedding there we go again there's another royal japanese wedding uh, whatever you want to call it, but this time uh, they were talking about why you know they've, there was no cameras allowed during the actual ceremony, and so they claimed that they had exclusive footage, and yeah, it was all about <laughs> the 1960s TV series The Samurai. The only good thing to come from this, from my point of view, is uh, if the futons rock and don't bother knocking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, which is sort of couched as uh, telegrams at the reception. Um, like again, this sort of uh, I think like some of the way that they did this sketch probably would have been how they did Barjas or the olden days, and that they they looked at all of this footage and sort of went, well, how could this apply to a traditional wedding? Oh, the, the, the only other good joke in it was uh, one samurai running away from a bunch of other ninjas and uh, Tom explaining, they're trying to knock at the groom here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> typical, t- typical Bucks night. It is time for... Charlie, we love you. Charlie the Wonder Dog, starring Charlie the Wonder Dog, and it's episode two, Charlie Digs In. And the Peace Week kids are exploring Beauty Point. And I might as well just go straight to the source to explain what this whole episode was about. So what's the story, Gramps? Well, it seems that Mr. Piggott, the richest man in all of Havenswood, has bought Beauty Point to put up a five-star hotel and golf course for Japanese honeymooners. But can't you do anything? You know the mayor of Havenswood. I suppose I could try. I love, I love that last line. The way, the, the way he says it. I suppose I might try. <laughs> it's sort of... There's a scene in this. Um, I wish Justin was here again. But, like, there's a scene in this where um, Charles Bud Tingwell's on the phone and the Piss Week kids are all around him. And Justin's been positioned, like wedged in between the couch and the telephone table up against the wall like it no one <laughs> would ever go and sit down in this weird little gap next to the door. <laughs> does watching these now because of what he's told us uh on how they do film and all that gives it a whole new perspective <laughs> instead of the assumption it's like yeah this is it this is how it's done it's he probably got his line 30 seconds before they hit record yeah, that's amazing. That's an amazing insight. Yeah. But also, there's a hell of a lot of exposition in every line. So, you know, mm-hmm. Beauty Point is the most beautiful place in all of Havenswood Valley. And, you know, the uh, Mr. Piggott is the richest man in all of Havenswood. Um, oh, also, the, the reference to Japanese honeymoon is, do we think that's a subtle thing? That's another Japanese uh, royal wedding reference? I well, they, no they idea. Would have filmed, well, they, surely they would have filmed this sketch, you know, well before anyone had heard of this wedding. So I, I think maybe it's either coincidence or they thought, oh, we've got this reference to Japanese honeymoons. We'll put it in this episode where we're talking about the, the Japanese wedding. But um, my, my favourite sort of joke line, which has a lot of exposition in, in it, is the reference to the annual speedboat accident in Lake Poor Visibility, <laughs> which, is, which is such a cumbersome line to say. And when you've got a child saying it who can't really remember the line, they just sort of stutter it out and it makes it even funnier, which is, which is just brilliant. But you notice that when they were trying to get favours, Charlie has rescued every single person? Yeah. Yeah, saved everyone's life. Yeah, <laughs> like, like especially when they cut to the construction site, the whole building area, and they just use archival footage or stock footage of things being blown up, especially the atomic bomb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bit over the top. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was watching this, I was actually quite tense because it's like, how are they going to wrap it up? There's so much story in this, and there's there can't be more than like thirty seconds. And then the owner just drives up and says, I've had a gut full and drives off. And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can you can stick beauty point, you can stick the dog, I'm off, that's the end of it. Constantly throwing his hat into the ground. 
Yes. Yeah, wasn't it after each line? You can, yeah, you can stick at any point. You can... <laughs> they ran out of time when they were writing the script. They just had to end it quickly. <laughs> that acting was amazing, that guy. Yeah, and after Charlie saves the day. Yay! Nice work, Charlie! <laughs> they get the lesson off the episode that you can't always, uh, you know, uh, take these things into your, uh, into your own hands all the time. <laughs> yeah. even, uh, though, even though you know even though it gets results yeah yeah charlie's in a hard hat yes and he's nodding <laughs> he's nodding and there's a reference to that later on isn't there in the next segment yeah where they go into the commercial crime stoppers a loose version of it so it really wasn't official uh so because they're all on the couch and mick and santo are just totally relaxed and they're describing advertising standards or broadcast services act really but mick does explain that it doesn't affect the abc as much yeah they do end up showing two commercials one being haynes the james blundell one you know no one's going to sing the jingle no. <laughs> i don't remember it no. just wait i, I, I can do it justice no all right <laughs> but james blundell wait until we get a haynes on you oh yeah yeah. Such a crap. Well, this was slightly controversial, the Hanes ad, because Hanes was, an, I think, an American underwear yeah. manufacturer. And this, this was a bit controversial because obviously any any proper Australian male would be wearing the homegrown Bonds brand as as their underwear. So so this was a bit, oh, we don't want these Americans coming in. But then this ad was a bit was a bit controversial for, for the reason they explain. Yeah. So it, it's quite interesting to remember that. I do remember the Hanes white T-shirt being the it item along with a pair of 501 Levi's. I just need to mm-hmm. put that in there. <laughs> yep. Should have been a Bonds T-shirt, though. Should have been oh, a yeah. local, locally manufactured. Got to be Bonds. <laughs> you sort of pissed off and Bonds took back over the market. So that's true. Well. <laughs> well, the commercial that they're referring to, and I love how they show it in really shoddy VHS quality too. You will look ghosting. <laughs> mm, the 90s. Yeah. The reason why I got pulled was because James Blondell was riding a motorbike without a helmet. Instead of all uh, close up, yeah, the close-up shots of the, you know, people's underderps, male underderps, really. With battered sabs. That's and... fine. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the other commercial was their old favourite, uh, their old mate, Ken Bruce. And while it was a his cliche, typical Madonna baby, what are you doing type thing, wearing all the bondage S&M type thing, running through the warehouse, it got pulled because of the thing that happens right at the end of the commercial that yeah, happens unintentionally. Yeah, but I like yeah. when they ask um, Judith, so why do you think this one was banned? And she's gone, it's got to be because the men have more hair on their backs than on their heads. <laughs> <laughs> explain why it was bad (laughs) i mean it's offensive for so many reasons this this ad you know a a hairy man with a with a mustache in in women's bondage gear but the 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 ad ends with with ken bruce in all this madonna bondage gear stuff 
walking around with some dogs on a leash, but the two dogs actually start, um, well, I don't know, how, how can I put this, getting it on, I suppose. Uh, and it, it's a bit hard to spot until they point it out to you. But, but yeah, it, it's definitely happening. We got a flummox for the whiteboard because Santo quickly says flummoxed. Oh, and by, by the way, the, there's a bit which relates to the two dogs rooting. And, and Judith says to Mick that maybe they could watch the footage of the two dogs rooting um, after the show and I think this is the first instance of, of the sort of sexual tension between Mick and Judith which builds up throughout the show and, and becomes <laughs> and people start thinking oh are they a couple you know yeah. so th- this is quite, forget, about, quite forget about Tom and Jane or even yeah. Tom and Rob Judith and <laughs> Judith and Mick this is this yeah. is what series two is all about is the sexual tension between those two well, there's, there's a bit where, like, they're talking about it and, you know, Mix makes a comment and Judith just goes, I'm only human. <laughs> really gets on board with that. I think that's where they all sort of click. There's like, oh, hang on a sec. Yeah, what's going on here? Yeah. Now, now also, that uh, Ken Bruce ad was submitted by Hedley Gritter of Elwood. <laughs> Not a real name. No, no, it is. What? This is Hedley Gritter. Uh, was the host of the party show on Three Triple R in Melbourne at the time? Oh yes, a yes. show that is still going today with Headley Gritter. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Sunday midnight to two a.m. Wow! And staying on the couch, we have Judith, who is dissecting the first Australian edition of the National Enquirer. Yeah, so this is really really cool because uh, she makes something out of complete nothing. Just pure shit, really. Except for one or two articles. Oh, you didn't write for it, did you, at all, Tony? <laughs> no, no. I remember when it came out, it was very... Everyone was really excited. And then it was just kind of nothing. I mean, it was no Sunday sport. So it's very disappointing. <laughs> ah. I do love the way Judith um, hangs it on Larry Picker- Pickering. Yeah. <laughs> and the comment she had, which was, it's amazing what wearing a cap for 20 years can do for your reputation. <laughs> 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 what does that mean? Also, I love it. <laughs> Other stories that she mentions that are in it are such as uh, stuff on Jackie O or Jackie Onassis, uh, Bill Clinton's brother, and a, a segment which went kind of nowhere, but it just showed you how bad quality it was. <laughs> that It's Borderline Daily Telegraph uh, early stuff, which is a segment on great ghost stories with a poorly shot, photoshopped photo. Um, yeah just to kind of mm. illustrate the point of something which didn't make sense at all. Was it, yeah, was it, was and, the, and the... $40? Sorry? Yeah, it was, it was a, a mum of three was handed $40 by a ghost on a bus. All of this sounds very much like these days it wouldn't be in the inquiry, it'd be in take five or that's life. This, this yeah. sort of bullshit story. Yeah, I have to. I, I like I like Judith's final line, which is, "If they're really on that bus, I'll date Daryl Summers," which is <laughs> such a such a classic Judith line. And there's plenty more of those to come in this series. And I, th- th- it, it's lines like that that made me just fall in love with Judith. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's like she doesn't have heaps to do, but she just says some amazing things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, she asks if anyone in the audience has bought a copy and then someone admits it on national television. I have to admit that I actually bought a copy as well, as did um, one of our other readers who also, uh, listeners I should say, who also sent in a scanned copy. I had to 
forensically kind of have a look at the two PDFs that I had scanned of my copy and his copy to make sure that we actually had independently bought <laughs> copies of this. There were actually two, at least two people, apart from that lady in the audience who bought a copy of the National Enquirer when it came out. But the reason was because there was actually a degeneration competition and you could win tickets to go and see them flying ANSET Airlines. Yay, ANSET <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm still lamenting my lost 60,000 frequent flight points from 1999, but anyway, that's a side, side issue. But, no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a fellow traveller there, Kim. I've, my my frequent flyer points were lost as well. So, yeah. you know, come back, Anset, give me my frequent flyer points back. That, that's right. So you could, you could win a, a trip, you could stay in a luxury spa suite at the Bryson Hotel and dining at Bobby McGee's restaurant. And the runners-up would get, um, there were 10 runners-up, best of the late show video. So I won no runner up prize i obviously didn't win tickets oh, to and, and then and then also uh, according to the terms and conditions in small print down the bottom the next 10 entries drawn got an original late show cap ah yes that's right you gotta get that cap I didn't get, get it, that get quick. It quick. Yeah. No, I got it very slowly. I didn't get it at all. <laughs> so, and Alison yeah. just flashed her hat yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, I've got my hat, which I bought at Adelaide's ABC shop. I remember so, the Geese nightclub I once picked up there, and uh, it had a theme of like this. I don't know, American saloon type place and you used to sing along to Oasis Wonderwall. There you go. Oh, <laughs> the 90s, everyone, the 90s. <laughs> In regards to that DGEN Late Show article from the National Enquirer, I will post that up on Twitter and Facebook. And that's thanks to Peter Phoebe. So uh, he's the regular listener. So good day, Pete. Thank you so much. He's actually supplied a fair few articles that we couldn't find. So a big shout out to him, mate. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. I do have a copy of, of original copy of that. I, I don't have it. It's in the next room, but I do. I can tell you at the other side of that piece of paper, there was some just rip-offs from the US version of the inquiries. They were clearly just um, taking copy from that and just filling it in with some random Australian content when, when necessary. But there was one about famous celebrities are just like you and just kind of talking about the various... Um, weird idiosyncrasies they have that that might be just like you oh <laughs> and um anything yeah. based on grant dodwell no nothing it was just like <laughs> people like dolly parton and, and things like that and and there's and there was a there was a cartoon about a, a dog and i can't remember what it is but yeah it was it was very non-newsworthy oh. <laughs> oh yeah it's one of my favorite times and it is toilet break and <laughs> a potluck toilet break and guess who it is? It's the Spangles. She's got it. Yeah, there's, there's a few of us doing the, the choreography in the webcams here. <laughs> oh, it's Unfortunately, I, I can't do the box step because I'm sitting down, but I, I'm doing the box set, the box step in, in my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, if you just wiggle around, sorry, I'm going off mic. It makes it look like. Yeah, there we yeah go. okay. I'm, I'm doing the box step. That, that, I, I love it when they go into the box step. But also they the bit where they, they clap and they turn, that that's oh god. I love the arm <laughs> twist. <laughs> yeah. Raise the arm, twist it and yeah. But there's a bit where they go, woo! Because well. <laughs> yeah. quite because quite quite obviously they're sort of singing after the banana rama version, but the, the the band that are in the studio seem to be sort of more uh, it's more the shocking blue version they're playing. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mm. Now, I, I will mention, though, uh, and we put the call out on socials, and we've got a fantastic response of people wanting to find out where these people are. We do, uh, we, we do want to find out where these people are as well for all the potluck people. So if you were featured on the toilet break, that is. So if you're on potluck but you weren't on the Late Show toilet break, then I'm sorry, not interested. We... <laughs> You're, 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 you're at least a lower priority than the people who did make it to the late show. Yeah. So, please, we're putting the call out again. Uh, we've already got one, which uh, I'm also tease now. They will appear in a future episode. So, there we go. There's some sizzle for who, you. Who could it be? Ooh. <laughs> rings a bell. And, and just... And just <laughs> We tried so, to Google the, the Spangles to see if there was anyone <laughs> that vaguely resembled who they are now. But, yeah, they, they did a very good job of suppressing their <laughs> existence from all social media. If you have those, you know, reputation managers that try and kind of <laughs> delete well, your identity from online. I couldn't find anything about them. Could, could anyone else? No, because what's not to love about this act? It's actually amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no shame. It's, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. They're, they're, I mean, they're Spangles, they're Spangles by name and Spangles by costume. They're very, <laughs> yeah. very shiny, uh, yeah, glittery, puffy uh, outfits that they've gone and uh, got on. And basically, they're just having fun by the looks of things. Yeah, it's it's two kids. That what are they about ten years old, roughly? I suppose these two girls, and mm. you know, they they were doing their best, I suppose, but. Part of me did want Red Simons to come on with his gong and just get rid of them because (laughs) they weren't great. And I'm sure Bernard King has got some interesting things to say about them. We were at all sure that the material's appropriate for two dear little girls, but I I couldn't understand the lyric of the song, so it probably doesn't matter very much. Will you promise me that you won't listen to your friends when they say you're wonderful? The one way to improve as a promising entertainer is to never believe your family or your friends because they'll say you're wonderful and they're lying. Kindly dedicate the next 10 or 12 years of your life to to dance class. Go to ballet. You will learn so much more. Everything is beautiful at the ballet. Very ill-prepared work, young ladies, 20. Very ill-prepared work, young ladies, 20. Perfect. He was so mean. (laughs) I don't know. I think think he was kind of right. (laughs) We'll we'll add to those things too that when you hear those Bernard grabs and there's audience laughter in it, that's late show audience laughter and not actually potluck. When you actually see those things, there's no laughter in the actual footage. No, because yeah. people are being flayed alive. Yeah. <laughs> so for those following along at home, uh, that puts the Spangles uh, at first place on the leaderboard with 20 points. <laughs> with uh, David Ty coming in on, uh, in second place uh, with 15 points for his uh, John Farnham slash uh, Michael Jackson impression. Oh. Oh and and what, what, does, what does the winner of, of the TLS Champagne podcast <laughs> potluck edition win? Are they going to get a bluey box set as well? Do we have to sell another 17 mugs on top of the original 17? Please, buy <laughs> A mug, we really need yeah. it. Like honestly, we need we need to sell thirty four mugs or something <laughs> in order to get David Ty a, bo- a box set of gluey. <laughs> honestly, that the money will go directly to those things. So if we end up getting more uh, than one box set, if we save up, get enough profit for two, two, I will buy two box sets 
and then I will kill the sales. So those things will become limited edition too. All right. So it's yeah. all for that. Oh, there's a good incentive. Limited edition. Limited yeah. edition. Yeah. Limited edition bus trip to barrel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd keep track of the, the points as we go along, uh, uh, along series two. Excellent. Who who will win? Now it is time for a newish segment, which I think they were just doing to fill some time, and that is the late mail. And Tommy G and the crew are on the news desk, but I'll let Tommy G introduce each, every single person on there. Professor Sitch, oh, uh, good to be here, Tom. clinical psychologist Kennedy, good evening. nurse Lucy, oh, I'm just a nurse. and long, long-term <laughs> work care recipient Chalaro. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a racist taunt. It is. <laughs> <laughs> It is. <laughs> so they did have uh, viewer fan mail or letters at least. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of these were quite real, but I wouldn't be surprised if some are fakes. We know further down the track there are a few fakies. Yeah, but and- when you see the graphic of, of each of the letters, they're all written exactly the same handwriting on the same mm. sort of paper. So so I think they're all fakes. Yeah, right. I, I thought they were fakes at the time. <laughs> Okay, well, one of them, uh, they did write in saying one wanted to know about why they kept making fun of Bert Newton's head because of the size of it, and then there was a bit of a shoddy setup of Bert's head setting up with a, a, what do you call it, not animatronic, a hydraulic to keep his head up. Let's leave him alone. Yeah, we love Bert. (laughs) And what also happened to the dogs with wobbly heads? So I guess this one was purely set up just for that one joke, So which kind of went nowhere. But it did lead into Santo's joke with a Jeff Fennick punch doll. Oh, no. I oh, come, on, come on. The Gareth Evans joke yeah. is good. The, the Gareth Evans wobbly yeah, heads, which enough. is a, obviously a callback to series one. Yeah. Oh, no. Actually, no. Gareth Evans was in the previous episode, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He was yeah. In, yeah. But, but mainly the head wobble was across two things. Yeah. Two seasons. But yeah, the the, the, the Jeff Fennick laugh doll is sort of the only joke out of this segment which uh, makes it to the best of DVDs. Mm. It's not interesting then what happens. So, like, first of all, Rob's mic uh, fails. So when he starts talking, he's off mic and it's quite weird. And also you notice that the camera is way up in the gallery or whatever, like it's way up high. So you to fit them all in frame. Yeah, and you go, oh, and- weird. But it's of course a setup. What happens? But just before the big reveal, I like the bit where Tommy G is doing. Um, oh, tell us about your lighting, and he's going. Oh, so here's some lighting, and, and this is some gels, and then he's waiting for the gels to change, and he's like, "So we have white." <laughs> that was quite funny. Why do people's eyes come out red on flash photos? And set up to a. I guess it's a cute little joke. That, that was a great joke because I used to work in one of those photo labs. So I was just going, oh, I remember that. Oh, so. You remember using the nail polish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went around the back to do that. We couldn't let the public see, but yeah. It, you know, the, the backs of those places were full of chemicals that were super toxic. Um, so when I'm dead in a few years, you'll know why, but yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> The other joke was in regards to what you said earlier, Prue, with the lighting effects and as they were going through all the different colours and strobes and stuff like that, then they came to the reflecting mirror ball and ended up being revealed as Andrew Denton's jacket with Andrew Denton hanging like a teabag coming from the ceiling. He was an extraordinarily good sport about it, but he was saying, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want El McFeast to do that show. Referring to to Light and Sweaty, basically El took over Light and Sweaty uh, in 93, where I think it was 
I think it was both of them in 92. Uh, and yeah, basically begging that he wants to be back on television and thanks for the break. Uh, well, had, was it Elle McFeast who did the like interview Chopper Reed and the show yeah. Yeah, went off a cliff two minutes after? Yeah, live on TV well, that, and he's that, drunk. Yeah, that was that was more mid to late nineties though. That, but yeah. but also after Live and Sweaty, after he left it, Andrew Denham went on and, and did some more of those documentaries, didn't he? Like the the kids' cancer one and and different others, and then that sort of segued into him getting the show on Channel Seven, Denton. Well, not um, just that. He also in did ninety four. Yeah, and he did Triple M Breakfast as well in Sydney. Yeah, also. yeah. And we have a commercial now, another telecom versus Optus, but this time it's obscene call comparison costs. Now, yeah, this, this is was... a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> this is sort of this is like a step too far from the yes. Yeah, yes. Well, pre, 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 were you like me? And it's like, oh my god. <laughs> I have no memory of watching Mick and Santo basically do an orgasm on TV. You you don't remember this? This, I'm like, oh, how can you not remember this? This is the only grab that I could really get from it, which I found still obscene, but probably the cleanest out of all of it. I want to see your titties. Yeah, but, I mean, this this sketch is really horrible. I I think it's, it's a, when you analyze it, but that that bit is funny. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest, yeah, we won't go into that. Oh, you can talk no. about it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's certain things there that we. Oh, look, the, the, yeah. only, the only thing, <laughs> I, the, the only thing I'll say is that Santo saved thirty one dollars ninety over me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was all worth it then. Does Does anybody care? <laughs> it's time for a more cleaner Graham and the Colonel and they are in mourning over Jeff Fennick's career let us oh. mourn together oh. the loss of what let's mourn Colonel mourn. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to mourn keep it down okay I've got the neighbours <laughs> let's mourn the loss of one of Australia's great sporting identities. Oh, don't tell me Mark Edmondson's dead. <laughs> no, Colonel, no, I'm not but saying that he's... Lenny dead. Pascoe. No, Come Colonel. on, break it to me. He's been slain in a gangland-style murder. Is that, is that what's happened? No, Colonel. Tony Rafferty's no. dead. <laughs> Nobody's died! Oh, just not even David Gilmore? No. I'd like to see him dead. <laughs> Dave... Oh, no, no, Gary Gilmore. <laughs> to die of gout one day, surely. Anyway. If you're going to cock up sport, at least cock it up properly. And I'm now such what? an expert, I feel so stupid. Every one of those people is still alive. I have no idea who any of, apart from Dave Gilmore, the, yeah. the I have no idea who the others are. Oh, hang on, Dave Gilmore's the guy from Pink Floyd. Right. Yeah. Joke. <laughs> yeah. And not a sports person at all. I, I think I think what, what saves uh, this segment from being totally shambolic is the the constant lists that uh, Santo uh, puts through this and also uh, later on in Graham and the Colonel. Yes. To, 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 to Rob's ultimate surprise. Don't think it's a classic Graham and the Colonel because it's got that real edge of your seat danger. It's like, mm. oh, because there's bits, that obviously they're corpsing and they're forgetting their lines and whatever. 
but like there's this thing where they both sort of feel like oh fuck this i'm gonna leave you know like this <laughs> i'm hating it here <laughs> yeah it, that 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 element of danger and and the improvisation was something that I I feel has been missing from some of the other live stuff that they've been doing this series. Like you know, I I really love the Paradise Beach sketch, but it didn't have any of that sort of going slightly off the rails thing that you got in in the series one live sketches. And the same with the psychopath; it was all totally scripted. And and so and also even some of those panel segments or sitting around the on the sofas again there's there's not a whole heap of improv stuff and making each other laugh so Graham and the Colonel is kind of where it is this is the home of of going off the rails and yeah the the several lists in this from Santo are just they're they're kind of the highlights of the episode for me in a way because I, I love that kind of humor. and the way he he pulls a piece of paper out of his shirt like and it's this yeah square it's like he just stood behind set and quickly scribble them down and Rob's kissing himself completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. There was a lot of good jokes in this, uh, such as George Foreman losing during the week. <laughs> He's in the overweight division. That was really funny. <laughs> and yeah, obviously pre the eponymous grill as well. Yeah, that's probably what started yes. it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so he'll compete against Ian Hewitson. So, yeah, that was a bad fat joke. And we have a French Open. Sergey, or oh, Sergey, or Sergey. Sergey, was it Sergey? Sergey, Sergey Ruguera. Yep, beats Jim Courier. <laughs> and Courier loves playing the French Open because he loves playing on the surface that matches his hair. <laughs> I just love how the Colonel explains it because he's a redhead. Yeah. <laughs> but also uh, Graham's, uh, Graham's line too, that they can't get grass to grow on it because they will dip just down the clay. So it was so, just so much of this segment is just like them throwing parts of jokes. Yeah, like they're sort of going clay, and then they get back. Oh wait, the grass is dead. That's why it's clay. He's, yes. he's a redhead. It's like you've got to sit there and sort of put it together yourself. <laughs> but when they get to the Roland Garros uh, Stadium, and I'm sorry if I said that wrong, I really apologise for that. Uh, because it's in the French uh, Open, uh, they could have named it Pepe Le Pew, <laughs> all the specs. And that, that's where they just started rattling off all French puns. And well, the, the list is great because it's got loads of people who aren't French. And I'm yeah. not just talking about Plastic Bertrand, who was Belgium. You know, we, we get yeah. we get to Andre the Giant. That's, that's <laughs> and, my favourite one. Da- Danny LaRue, Danny. Who's, who's a British <laughs> a British performer. Gabrielle Gattay, which is Australia's own. <laughs> yes. Madame Curie, of course, is his reference. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Pepe Le Pew, Jacques Cousteau. Lo- lo- anyone who sounds vaguely French basically gets listed in this until Rob can't really breathe anymore because yeah. he's laughing so much. The guy from Hello, <laughs> Hello. Yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> the way Rob goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> But, and then they make a reference back to the start of the show again with the pineapple because mm. the colonel was going to take the little lieutenant to the Sunshine Coast to the big pineapple on the weekend, but he's afraid it will be contaminated. Graham is tired. Oh, he's the last part of the Japanese royal wedding again because, and this is yeah. where he throws back to his earlier joke. 
uh, the photos have come out with red eyes. It's nice that they got to go to the wedding. I, I enjoyed the photo of them at the wedding. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah there's, there, there's some nice sort of 1993, uh, uh, you know, early photoshopping of, of Graham and the Colonel into the, the royal wedding photo. But it's great because it looks like a, a classic school team photo. Like, yeah. <laughs> sitting upright. I did also just want to mention that uh, Graham and the Colonel have brand new opening titles. I so, didn't pay attention to that. Wow. Well, you see, uh, in the previous episode, they had used the titles that they'd used all of series one. But yeah, from uh, episode two, season two onwards, it's uh, brand new. So we get things like a, a weightlifter failing to lift his weights and like weird sports like what looks like a potato bagging race. <laughs> and like this, there's quite a lot of footage of people falling down. There's like netballers stumbling. There's a horse falling over a jump. There's a skater and a skier all jumping. Uh, along with, again, somebody with a big sack on his shoulder. Again, that might have been the potato race. <laughs> I don't know how they would have gotten footage of this it was some sort of weird potato bagging race again you can see it in uh volume uh, two of the best bits uh no sorry volume three of the best bits rather it's time for the closing we've got the musical finale and this is where tony gets mick to find a musical act to close up the show and this time it was meant to be aerosmith but pete smith mr copyright <laughs> the very same uh the guy on channel nine that says tonight the commish that pete smith <laughs> that's the one yeah the sale of that one i think he's brilliant doing this actually i really really like it he, he just goes for it it's great oh he does yeah yeah it's too good yeah, I really think he saves this end segment because, I mean, the f- the one on the first week is such a sort of debacle that it's like <laughs> you've really got to have something good for week two or people aren't going to stick around for, you know, week eight of this. Yeah. Well, as as Tony said... Going, Please help us, Pete Smith. <laughs> <laughs> you're our last hope. Or otherwise you're going to get something like this. Something like... Yeah, yeah. Last episode with Sid Halen was the most confusing four minutes of television uh, he thinks he's ever seen. <laughs> the thing is, it was confusing. I, I, it has a shambolic charm to it, the, the Sid Halen one. But, yeah, I, I, I really do enjoy the properly done um, musical finales, and, and this is a good example of that. Well, this is where they lead into what Pete Smith is singing, and that's an Aerosmith tune. Dude looks like a lady. Looks like a lady. <laughs> One of the most lady. Iconic. Yeah. So gorgeous. But fast forward to uh, the next year, 1994, and when the DJ and the Late Show are up for a Logie Award, guess what's played? And the winner is the Late Show, ABC. Dude looks like a logie. Remember they got shit for doing that? They the did. Center? If you yeah. watch the footage, it's on YouTube, but if you watch the footage when uh, you got Santo, uh, Rob, Jane, and you got Pete Smith down the front of, of how it was at the time. Um, don't know what theatre it was. I can't remember, but it's on Wikipedia. And so they announced the winner and they're all just sitting there and then, uh, they're all looking at each other, and then eventually Rob goes, hey, Pete, 
Why don't you go and collect it? Come on, I think this was set, set up. up. They, they, <laughs> must set have, up. <laughs> they must have had to have given the band the music. But but also the 94 Logies was the one year that they experimented with a theatre-style Logies as opposed to having everyone at dinner tables. Yeah. And then the, uh, ever since then they've gone back to the tables, which is which is much better because people can get drunk and be embarrassing. Um, yeah, because a lot of them would the, be sitting there doing absolutely nothing and just go, yeah, I'm maybe I'm hungry or... You can be very, very boring. Yeah. The also, other thing they um, filmed Frontline when they were yes. in Logies. Yeah. They did a, a bit of sort of stealth filming at, at the Logies and, yeah, you, you sort of see it as uh, in, in the Frontline episode as yeah, Mike Moore trying to hobnob with actual Australian TV personalities all to the Bugs Bunny show thing. so there you go yeah you're right Alison it was all set up from the very beginning so for many many layers but good old uh, Pete Swift they did win two awards that night as well the closing time with the credits uh, was there anything any easter eggs in there Daniel nothing really easter eggy but I'll I'll list uh, the special guests so they they list Tony Barber who was in uh, the, the Jason what I'd like to see on TV thing uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think they photoshopped that famous farters thing into the Jeopardy footage. It does look like he, if you slow it, if you slow it down the video, it does look like he, uh, Tony is actually saying the words famous farters. <laughs> uh, Maybe you're saying famous fathers. <laughs> oh, it's possible. Uh, we also had Andrew Denton in the late mail segments, Pete Smith uh, doing uh, his song, Charles Bud Tinkwell. Uh, with the bud in quotation marks instead of brackets, naughty, naughty uh, uh, credits person. And uh, Ted Whitten uh, back up the front with TDS September. Uh, then uh, we've also got listed uh, Rie Aoki and Paul Chu, who uh, played our uh, Japanese royal couple, and Terry Gill, James Wright, and the Pissweek kids all in Charlie the Wonder Dog. Uh, and there's also thanks to ABC News, probably for the footage, and Neil Mitchell, which I'm assuming that's the 3AW Neil Mitchell, and I don't know how he would have been involved. What do you think? Give us a call. <laughs> we'll be back right I after these did notice, uh, Oh, sorry. I did notice they uh, would like to thank Sports Girl as one of the people in the credits, so that may have been uh, the source of some of the clothes. Yes. Well, no, they, they always thank Sports Girl every single episode, though, and that's oh, because of all the ruffled shirts and the uh, leggings that, that <laughs> Judith and Jane wear every single episode. And they'll get to the, uh, the cut-off blazers, you know, blazers that don't have sleeves. Yes. <laughs> I remember those. Okay. <laughs> Other than that, you have the very ending, which is the audience solicit. Andrew Denton in the same shot as Tony. They really are two different people. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who and knew? He says, if despite all the available evidence, you'd still <laughs> like to be part of the studio audience for the next Late Show, ring 524-2444 Monday after 10 o'clock and you can get to see Rob Sitch personally blow some lines. <laughs> <laughs> so it just, it's it's a, a magnificently backhanded, uh, uh, hilariously off-the-cuff comment. That's Andrew. Uh, I don't know if it was just me, but was anybody else surprised at how short Andrew Denton seemed at this? Was he a step <laughs> lower than everyone else? Or is he... He's a short man. He's a short person. I've met him once or twice before. And, okay. yeah, he's far out. He's intelligent. He's really intelligent. <laughs> I just had the impression, I don't know, I thought he would be taller. <laughs> no. Every, everyone on TV is short. 
that that's the weird <laughs> thing about almost everyone on TV is pretty short. Well, that's <laughs> Martin and Sean McAuliffe, who are very tall. <laughs> God, I, I wish it, I would have known how tall Bernard King was. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to look at my footage from uh, the 90s Easter show when he <laughs> he was actually at um, one of the stands in the Easter show and we had our had my video camera with me and we were just giggling like idiots going, that's Bernard King! Say <laughs> 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 something horrible to me! <laughs> we were filming it from about 50 metres away and zooming in, just trying to, just giggling and, and the whole and thing shaking because we're like, oh, it's Bernard! So, and and yeah. what was he spruiking at the Sydney show, Kim? Oh, it was just, you know how you've got the cooking area in Woolworths Pavilion or something oh, like that? Oh, demonstration. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Probably he's one of his uh, cliche cookbooks, you know, he's yeah. Summer cookbook, yeah. his winter cookbook, his autumn cookbook, mm. and urinal cakes. That's right. He's not even in talent. He's not even in that industry. He's a cook. What the hell yeah. was he doing yeah. back to people who were dancing and singing? <laughs> I don't know. To be to be fair, some of his opinions were pretty good. <laughs> I I once saw Bernard King. This this was while the Adelaide Fringe was on, and he was sitting at a, at a, one of those outdoor cafe tables in Rundle Street with with someone. And I walked past and went, "Oh my god, it's Bernard King!" <laughs> yeah, I think that was everyone's reaction. Yeah. But but I I couldn't I couldn't tell you how tall he was because he was seated at the time. But I was bizarrely excited to yes. see Bernard King in the flesh. <laughs> the only the only Australian television personality I've ever met who was taller than I thought he would be is, and this is a bit of a callback, Bert Newton. Bert yeah. Newton, when I saw him, he's a big man. I thought yeah. he was just a normal-sized guy, but no, he was a burly dude. But you see him you see him next to Don Lane, who was famously quite tall. and Yeah, exactly. And and they're both roughly this. I think Bert's actually slightly shorter than Don, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're kind of similar heights. But you know, Don Don was like a basketball player, wasn't he? Yeah, so he was right. very the lanky yank. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, lo- I love I love that Matt has has uh, shown his copy of the Don Lane Show DVD box set uh, up to the webcam. Yes, he's charged. Seconds not, after we not to be outdone, everyone. <laughs> oh just, my god, I am Alison. Two volumes. Just whip out of Don Lane. Hang on, sorry, I've got I've got that one as well. Sorry, I I win. You do. I'm not kidding you guys, but we're kindred spirits because I've got those two volumes as well. Yay! You're not holding them up to the webcam. We're we're twinsies. Guys. Oh. I think God. my copy's in the shed. <laughs> deserves to be there. The correct place for it, as much as I enjoy these DVDs. Well, Alison. Ho- you- ho- hopefully that's a temperature-controlled shed, Tony. <laughs> well, it, it's temperature-controlled in that the temperature inside is the same as the temperature outside. <laughs> Alison. You know, yes. in this box set, well, I think it's the first disc or whatever, and it's got a uh, an episode where Bernard King is on it, and he's yeah. cooking. He's, he's cooking, cooking for Don, and he's holding like he's got what what do you call it? The 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 electronic uh, frying pan things. You know the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And, oh, induction cooking. Yeah, yeah, and he's got like a whole bunch of diced meat, or and he's just holding his. Uh, I've actually got a glass of. I've got, I've got brandy. I've been drinking brandy all night. <laughs> so look at me being fancy. And he's doing that. He's like holding, pretending to hold a glass, or he's holding a glass, and he's talking to Don. And he's like, "This is how you, uh, you know, entertain your guests," type thing to Don. And he's just like <laughs> with the wooden spoon, just stirring up the 
cook uh, the meat and all that, and Don's just like trying to go on, and Bernard's going, "Oh, darling, this is how you present it." <laughs> He's just talking absolute shit, and it's freaking gold. It's and then after that, he serves all this cooked meat on a platter, and then he goes and. He's just so flamboyant in the thing, and there's so many uh, tongue-in-cheek uh, gay jokes in it. So yeah, yeah it's it's high-quality viewing, and if you can get a copy of Don Lane Show, which is completely out of print, um, yeah, it's it's gold. The, the Don Lane Show just just a completely go away from the late show there's so many bizarre things in it like they, they have a butcher on like some kind of butcher from somewhere in melbourne he he's like he's an italian butcher and he comes on and he talks about meat and then they have him back repeatedly so he becomes a regular on the program they, they're obviously desperately trying to fill in air so oh yeah he's, he's a butcher he's quite interesting yeah and, appealing and to the melbourne he, he market comes on and he, he's cutting up meat live on television thinking what the fuck is this <laughs> well i will say on the best of the don lane show DVD does have oh. the degeneration because oh, that, that, that's like yeah. the summarizing so they do feature there there's our tiniest link that's <laughs> great but one one of these has got um it's got like Stephen Fry and Emma Thompson doing their Cambridge University 1981 oh. review which did a tour of Australia in 82 I think it was and so you see like Fry and Laurie and Emma Thompson and that before they're famous on the Don Lane show it is so weird and and amazing yeah <laughs> oh god I need to see that this is feeling quite on topic because we haven't finished the podcast oh yeah sorry yeah. let's get back into this all right so yeah. my apologies i know everyone's so, it's, sorry you bring it back on no 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 that's fine that's my fault i am How so sorry are we going to end this? i don't want to see this edited out though this this don't like <laughs> burning king and the cooking <laughs> stuff yeah yeah spin-off don lane podcast <laughs> particularly bonus like at him on the video camera like let's zoom in <laughs> well, we're going to call it the lanky yankee podcast <laughs> yeah yeah. All right. Uh, God, <laughs> we might as well wrap up. Uh, yeah, this is, that, that was uh, episode 22 of uh, the Champagne Comedy Podcast, but that was also the end of season two, episode two of The Late Show itself. Feel free to reach out to us on email, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLSChampagne, the site champagnecomedy.com, and also make sure you click on the podcast link because you have all the previous episodes, all the archives, and the link to our Red Bubble page where we need to sell coffee mugs so we can buy shit for you guys. So, yeah, and also search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast on Facebook. That's the group, and then just answer the three questions and uh, you'll be let in. And, yeah, all this other stuff. So, uh, God, goodness gracious, we are so over time. I apologise. So I just want to say thank you very much, Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue, and Tony, for coming back on again for a second episode. Yay. Yay! Pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Here's a little sizzle for you. Episode three. Well, I've actually got a few guests already locked in, so I'm going to give you some sizzle. The next episode with the guest will be someone who is associated with the Champagne Comedy website and may have something to do with certain episodes. Oh, yeah. Right. So thank you very much, everyone. And I'm Matt, and this is the end of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, finally. So (laughs) thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.